Eric started a series, right, last month on questions that kids ask. And then he started to look at questions that adults ask. And today we're looking at a question that has to do with the problem of evil and suffering in the world. So Eric left town. Right? <laughs> and he left that to me, okay? No, actually, I look forward to talking about this with you because uh, I work for a group called Search Ministries. I was a pastor for a lot of years, but now I meet with people outside of the church. Sometimes it's one-on-one, -on -one, sometimes it's small groups, larger groups. And, and oftentimes what I'm trying to do is to create an atmosphere where people can ask their questions about life, God, the Bible, Christianity. And for me, the number one question that gets asked is this. If God is good and all-loving and all-powerful, why is there evil and suffering in the world? Now, a lot of times, it doesn't get asked like that. It gets asked more like this. So where was your God when I got the diagnosis that my daughter has leukemia? And you say that your God is all-loving, but I went to the store for a few hours and I came back and my husband cleaned out everything and he left. And these people illegally undercut my business. Now I have lost my business and my home. Where's your loving, all-powerful God in that? Tough questions, right? Now sometimes when we hear the question like that, we think, well, if we're not very self-aware, that you know, this is the kind of question that people ask if they're sort of lost their way, they've lost their faith. It's not necessarily so. I think that all of us ask this question at times. God, where are you? Why is this happening to me? Are you even there, God? When the dings of life come along, we often ask this question here. I, I think the first time that I asked it, the first time I remember asking it was when I was 15 years old. So I loved my grandfather. My grandfather was the sweetest man. He was a, a strong, sort of ox of a man. He worked outside all of his life, but he was so sweet, so kind. I grew up in Central California. My grandfather was in LA. We'd go down and visit him or he'd come up. And, and always, as he was leaving, he would, you know, put his hand in his pocket and pull out some money, and he'd sort of sneak it into my hand and shh, don't tell Grandma. Of course, Grandma knew what was going on, but that was just his way, the sweetest man. And I was 15 years old. My mom and I planned a trip to take him to Alaska to go on a cruise. It was the love boat, actually, back then. And so, uh, so we went, we're going to go on this cruise. But three weeks before, we get a call that my grandfather had a heart attack. And I remember right where I was. I started crying, and I was angry, like, God, why would you let this happen? Now, truth be told, my grandfather made a remarkable recovery because he was in such incredible shape. And he actually went on the trip. And so that question didn't linger for me very long, but it's come back. Every time there's been dings, right? God, why is this happening? Are you there? What's going on? Why would you allow this? We ask this question. You know, one of the things that I love about the Bible is that it doesn't skirt this question at all. In, in fact, it poses this question throughout Scripture. The oldest book in the Bible is the book of Job, and it, it's all about this question. But better than that, it doesn't just pose the question. It gives us some insight and some understanding as well. And I hope to share with you some of that this morning. Now, I want to set some expectations up front, though. I think this is really important. 
I do hope to give you some insights and perspectives today that are rooted in the Bible. But if you're going through hard things right now, I don't necessarily expect anything I say to actually make you feel better. It doesn't necessarily work that way. So let's suppose that a, a mother and father, they, they lost a child, some tragic death. Of course, great despair, great pain, great hurt. And then let's suppose that six months after the death of the child, God shows up, like in their room, Shekinah glory and all, okay, and tells them, this is why I took your son, or this is why I took your daughter. And here's the good that will come from it. Now, undoubtedly, if that happens, there'll be some perspective that's gained, some insights that's gained, maybe some comfort and peace to some degree. But I would guess that every single time that that child's birthday rolls around, there will still be pain there. And when the other kids are graduating and your son or daughter isn't there, there'll be pain there. And when, when family vacations are gone on and that child isn't there, there'll still be pain because even as I'll share even more later, we weren't really made for that kind of loss. <laughs> and so this morning, again, I hope to give some insight and perspective into this question, but I don't necessarily expect if you're in that place right now for it to make you feel a whole lot better. So the question is, if there's an all-loving, all-powerful God, a good God, why is there evil and suffering in the world? And I certainly don't want to come across as if I have all the answers this morning. And so what I'm going to give you this morning is a number of maybe statements that I want you to consider. Maybe statements that might help you to understand how to grapple with this question. So here's the first maybe statement. Maybe... Evil and suffering are not inconsistent with a good and all-powerful God. Now, sometimes when this question comes up, people suggest that it's a, Ill, it's a logical inconsistency to think of a good and all-powerful God and for there to be evil and suffering in the world. Because if God is good and all-loving, he wouldn't want evil and suffering. And if he's all-powerful, he could stop it. But we have evil and suffering, therefore there must not be a God that is all-loving and all-powerful. But I'm not so sure that would be the case. You know, sometimes, as people, we are good-natured in a situation, and we have the power to stop suffering, and yet we have overriding reasons not to. So on the screen there, you see a, a, a young boy is getting a shot say, a vaccination. If you're a parent, you probably at some point in time took your child in to a doctor or a nurse and for a vaccination. Maybe you took them in for a vaccination when they're really small. They're clinging to you, and they love you, and you love them, right? And you're not really looking forward to this, right? You don't really want your child to go through that pain. It's not like you woke up saying, this is the day my child gets to feel pain, right? No, you don't really want that. You're good-natured towards them. And you have the power to stop this from happening. You don't have to take them to the doctor. And yet you do. You do because of overriding biggie, bigger considerations. Your child really can't understand it. You could try to explain it to them, but they, they can't understand it if they're really small. But you allow it to happen because of those overriding considerations of a bigger good. 
And I think that that's true for you and I. If we can be good-natured and even be able to stop suffering at times, yet we don't, then maybe that's also true of God from time to time. Next, maybe. Maybe our awareness of evil and suffering, particularly unjust suffering, supports the existence of God. Doesn't negate it, but actually supports it. We're talking about unjust suffering, really. That's what bothers us. Suffering doesn't bother us necessarily that much. It's unjust suffering. So if one of you gets really angry right now and goes over to the wall and punches it, and you break some knuckles and there's blood all over your hands, we might feel a little bad for you, but not really, right? <laughs> okay, you did it to yourself. What really bothers us is not suffering, but unjust suffering. When we see someone who's killed by a drunk driver, like, what did they do? Or a stray bullet, or, or maybe, you know, there's some disease that comes along. Wait a second, that seems so unjust. That's what we're bothered by. We're bothered by evil and unjust suffering. But here's the thing. If you and I are just here as, well, sort of random accidents of the cosmos, you know, millions of years ago, some elements came together and created these building blocks for life, and eventually they propagated, and God's not involved any, anywhere. It's just how the cosmic dice rolled out. Then there really isn't any evil or injustice. Things just are as they are. In fact, Richard Dawkins, the famed atheist, he wrote this. He says, in a universe of electrons and selfish genes, blind physical forces and genetic replication, some people are going to get hurt, other people are going to get lucky, and you won't find any rhyme or reason to it, nor any justice. The universe that we observe has precisely the properties we should expect. If there is, at bottom, no design, no purpose, no evil, no good, nothing but pitiless indifference. Things just are as they are. So you see there on the screen a, a, a scene of a spider being attacked by ants. And I didn't take this picture, but it was very much like what I saw on my sidewalk not too long ago. I'm going down my sidewalk, and, and, and all of a sudden I see, I see this scene, right, with this, I mean, just this vicious attack. This spider's not going to make it. And I just stood there and watched it. I was sort of fascinated by it. But it never once through, went through my head, that is so unjust. It's so evil. I just, well, that's just kind of the way it is, right? If I saw two lions fighting out on some, you know, safari, okay, I, I, I wouldn't say, oh, that's so immoral. That's wrong. Stop it, guys. <laughs> it's just the way of the wild. And if you and I are just sort of randomly here and our DNA is just sort of making us do different kinds of things, there is no injustice. There is no evil. It just is. <laughs> but we don't sense that, do we? We have this deep sense that there are things that are not good. This deep sense that, that justice has been violated. Where do we get that? Seems to me it takes a standard of goodness for us to see evil, a standard of justice for us to see injustice. God is that standard. So C.S. Lewis, right, was once an atheist. He said, my argument against God was that the universe seems so cruel and unjust. How could there be a God if this, with all this evil and suffering? But then, you had this idea, but how had I got this idea of just and unjust? A man does not call a line crooked unless he has some kind of idea of a straight line. Unless there's a God out there established what is just and what is good, how can I even call things evil or unjust? So maybe, maybe, 
our awareness of evil and unjust suffering actually supports the existence of God. Next, maybe. Maybe suffering and evil is part of the risk God was willing to take in order to have real relationship with us. So one of the ways that God could have gotten rid of evil and suffering in the world was simply to make us robots. So that he says, be nice to your little sister. And you say, okay, I will be nice to my little sister. We're just programmed in. And we just respond in that way because we're robots. And if he did that, he could have kept sort of evil and suffering from coming into the world, at least by human hands. But he didn't do that because if he did that, there wouldn't be real relationship there. So I brought my friend with me today. His name is Mr. Wonderful. All right. You might wonder why he's asked, named Mr. Wonderful. I actually take him with me a lot of places because he's really helpful in explaining something. So he's called Mr. Wonderful because, because apparently he says things that women like to hear. So, so let's, let's see what Mr. Wonderful has to say today here. Hello, darling. Have I told you I loved you lately? Hmm. Did you have a hard day, honey? Why don't you sit down? And let me rub your feet. Oh, wow, he rubs feet. That's great. What else You're is going he? shopping by yourself? How about if I tag along and carry your bags? Oh, wow, he even wants to carry bags when she goes shopping. This is a Mr. Wonderful here, right? Now, he says things that, that probably, I guess, a lot of women would like to hear. But, you know, not very many people would really be satisfied with a Mr. Actually, Wonderful like this. I'm not sure which way He's still go. talking here. I'll turn in here <laughs> and ask directions. He even, he even <laughs> says he's not. <laughs> so I don't think really, even though he says some things that women would like, that, that really women are looking for a Mr. Wonderful doll. They're looking for a man who would willingly say those things, right? Because relationship requires that. Not robotic responses, but this sort of free will is able to offer things that are loving and that are good. But here's the backside of that. If we have this free will to offer what is good and right before God, we also have the ability not to, to reject him and to enter into doing things that cause a lot of pain and suffering, to do evil. But that's the risk, I would say, that God was willing to take in order to have real relationship with us. Well, maybe, maybe suffering is a part of what alerts us to the fact that something isn't right. Something isn't right in the world. Something isn't right in our own lives. So you see on the screen there a picture of, of, of leprous hands. And there's some parts of those hands that are missing, right? So leprosy oftentimes is thought of as a skin disease. It's not so much a skin disease as it is a nerve disease. And so people with leprosy, they stop feeling things. So they don't know when they were, they're burnt. They don't know when they cut themselves. They don't know when they bump their toe in the middle of the night. And as a result, they don't attend to problems, to infections. And ultimately, things have to be amputated. Now, would it be good for someone with leprosy to be able to feel pain? I would
should say yes. Because it would alert them to the fact that something isn't right and they could attend to it. You see, if we were to go through life sort of blissfully happy and everything was wonderful, when really our relationship with God was fractured and broken, and God did nothing to alert us to the fact that something wasn't right, he wouldn't be a loving God, he would actually be a, a cruel God. And so a part of the reason, I think, that God brings and allows suffering in our lives is so that he can alert us to the fact that something isn't right, something's broken. Talk to so many people who've had cancer through the years, and it's amazing to me how many of them say, I wouldn't change this experience for anything. The things that I've learned out of this, the perspective that I've gained out of this, the things that aren't all that important that sort of gone away, they were alerted to the fact that something wasn't right. Maybe. Maybe suffering is necessary to loosen our hold on the temporary. So we'd all like to think, right, that we are people of substance, that we don't get, you know, just attached to, to things that are real temporary, but we're about really meaningful things. But the real truth of the story is that we get attached to very temporary things. It can be cars, houses, iPhones, prestige, power, whatever the case might. We're all affected by this. I think Jesus spoke about this an awful lot. He said things like, do not store up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. Because it's all temporary. Rather, be concerned about laying up for yourself treasures in heaven. And he tells this parable, this parable we call sort of the rich fool. This man who, who just kept accumulating wealth. He had fields an agricultural economy in Jesus' day, and he had fields, and he'd bring in a crop, and, and rather than sort of be generous with that, he just kept piling it up, and he had to build more barns and more barns to be able to hold all of this produce that, that he had, and then he died. <laughs> and Jesus says what a fool he was. All of his time and energy was spent on what was temporary instead of what was on eternal. Now, it would be nice... If when we heard words like that, we just said, oh, yeah, I need to loosen my grip on this. I've made these things so important, and they're not important. But I'm afraid many times it takes more than just words because it has such a grip on us. And so suffering has brought our way that we might learn to loosen our grip on what is temporary. After Harvey, I met with a number of people. I had some groups where people could talk about sort of the things that happened during Harvey and the things they learned. And I bet every single person that I met that had their home flooded was saying things like, you know, this is really terrible, but it's really taught me some things. Like this stuff really wasn't all that important. It's my friends and my family that were important. Over and over and over again, that's what I heard. Suffering, no doubt but suffering that helped people loosen their hold on the temporary. Well, maybe, maybe God allows suffering because he's more interested in building our character than in our momentary comfort. So you see a picture up there. It's a picture of Schwab Summer at the U.S. Coast Guard Academy up in Connecticut. 
And uh, you see a uh, first-year Schwab in his first few weeks at the academy, and you see a third-year cadet there that's teaching that first-year uh, Schwab how to be uh, a cadet. And my son's in his fourth year there, so he's been on both sides of this. Okay, he's been uh, he's had to take it and he's given it. And it was really interesting to me is when he came out of Schwab summer, sort of like basic training that first summer. He said it was hell. He said it was just awful. But he said, you know, Dad, there are things that I learned that I don't think I could have learned any other way. You see, because the U.S. Coast Guard isn't interested in people's momentary comfort. What they're interested in is building the character of the cadets that will produce excellent officers. That's what they're interested in. And oftentimes, I think that's the case for us as well. It's that God isn't so interested in our momentary comfort. He's interested in building our character. So the Apostle Paul, right, great man, has written much of the New Testament. And yet at some point along the way, God gives him a vision, a pretty significant vision, where he sees some really grand things. He doesn't go into a lot of detail. He talks about it in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. But then after he gets this vision... It's said that he received a messenger of Satan that gave him a thorn in the flesh. Now, we don't know what that thorn in the flesh was. Maybe it was some physical ailment. We, we don't know. But it was something that he didn't want because Paul says he prayed three times that God would take it away. And each time, God says, no, because you'll become proudful, proud if I don't let this thorn in the flesh remain. Because of this grand vision you have, you'll become proud. I know you, Paul. And I want you to remain humble as my servant. You see, God was more concerned about Paul's character than he was about his momentary comfort. And so he even allowed some evil a messenger to torment him in some way. Hebrews 12 says this, Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as sons or daughters. For what son is not disciplined by his father? Our fathers disciplined us for a little while as they thought best. But God disciplines us for our good, that we may share in his holiness, that we might be made into his character. Next, maybe. Maybe God allows evil and suffering so we have time to repent. So some people say, well, uh, if, if God's really going to show himself as all-loving and all-powerful, then, you know, he should get rid of all evil and suffering. Really, is that what you want? Because you know what that would mean. That would mean he would get rid of all of us. Because right, we're contributing to evil and suffering too, right? I mean, we've said things and done things that have hurt people. So if he's going to get rid of all evil and suffering to prove that he is all-powerful and all-loving, then prepare to be annihilated. <laughs> but he's not doing that because he's giving us time to repent. In fact, in Matthew chapter 13, Jesus tells this parable. You can read along with me. He says, The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while everyone was sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat. And went away. When the wheat sprouted and formed heads, then the weeds also appeared. The owner's servant <laughs> came to him and said, Sir, didn't you sow good seed in your field? Where then did the weeds come from? 
An enemy did this, he replied. The servants asked him, do you want us to go and pull them up? No, he answered, because while you are pulling the weeds, you may root up the wheat with them. Let them both grow together until the harvest. At that time, I will tell the harvesters, first collect the weeds and tie them in bundles to be burned, then gather the wheat and bring it into my barn. I like to tell people sometimes that we live in between Edens. We were made for the Garden of Eden. Humanity there started there. And if we look at the end of the Bible, in Revelation 21 and 22, we see this new earth where those who have trusted in Christ will, will live with him forever. The scene that's set for us looks an awful lot like the Eden of old. But right now we live in between Edens, where weeds and wheat grow at the same time. And God is allowing this to happen so that there's time for us to repent, for us to turn to him so that his good work can, can grow in us. So maybe, maybe God allows evil and suffering so we have time to repent. You know, maybe not knowing a good reason for some event doesn't mean there isn't one. You know, sometimes when we see something that happens in our lives or around us, we say, I, I just cannot possibly see how there could be anything good out of this. And I understand that perspective. I certainly have you know, had that perspective on things as well. But maybe just because we can't see a good reason doesn't mean that God doesn't have one. So I rarely play chess. I played a few weeks ago with my daughter. We just said, let's play a game. We ended up pulling it out and played chess. But let's suppose that I played with somebody who was a, a master at the game. And we get like two or three moves in probably. And there's a move that's made by this master that I just don't understand. What good is that move? Of course, three moves later, it's checkmate and the game's over. All right? Now, I look at that, and I don't understand that move at all, but just because I don't understand it doesn't mean that there isn't a good reason for it. Now, most of us would like to have a concept of God where he's the master. He knows a whole lot more than us. And if that's the case, there's probably going to be times where he moves pieces of the, of the puzzle in ways that we don't understand. But that doesn't mean there isn't a good reason. On the day that Jesus died, and on a couple of days after, I am quite sure that the disciples thought there was no good reason for what happened. How could this happen? This one that we followed, this one that we thought was the Savior, the one that was paraded in Jerusalem and everyone cheered him and now he's dead. How could that happen? They couldn't see any good in that. And yet it was the greatest move of all of history, right? So just because we can't see a good reason doesn't mean there isn't one. You know, maybe the reason we can't understand evil, certain evils, is because we weren't made to understand it. There are certain things we're going to look at in the world we say, I just can't, I, I, will, I won't understand this. How, how could those people do that? How could these people shoot these people or drop this bomb or do this thing or that thing? I, I just can't understand that evil. And frankly, I would say we're in that place because we weren't made to understand evil. We were made for the garden. We were given minds to understand what was good and what was right. We weren't made with minds to uh, grapple with evil and to understand all of its workings. So there's probably is, are there going to be places where we say, I just don't get it. 
And when we're in that place, it actually sort of echoes back to the fact that we weren't made for this. <laughs> we were made for what was good, and what is good. And then finally, last maybe, maybe, and I don't think this is a maybe, maybe God knows the pain of evil and suffering, and he welcomes us crying out to him. You know, throughout scripture, we see God grieving. He's grieving because of what he sees. He's not standing back disinterested. He's not like, well, you know, if they all mess up and this is what's happened in the world, no big deal. No, he grieves over it. And then beyond that, right? He came into this world and he experienced pain and suffering firsthand. And so it's from that perspective that he welcomes us crying out to him when we're experiencing pain and suffering. Not as someone who doesn't know, but as someone who's experienced it himself. And so if you're in that place this morning, if you're in that place where you're experiencing pain and suffering, I think it's true that he welcomes you crying out Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, the Master makes moves that we can't understand sometimes. Lord, we thank you for your desire for relationship with us, even if it was sort of at the risk of sort of pain and suffering and evil entering in the world. Lord, we thank you that you are not disinterested, that you do care, Lord, that you are working, that you are bringing about powerful and good ends, Lord, even if we can't see them. And Lord, we thank you that you welcome our cries to you. Because Lord, you know that in this life we won't see it all or figure it all out or understand it all. And so we thank you that you welcome us in the midst of our pain and suffering. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.